Well, let me say again, happy Mother's Day to all of you moms uh, who are here today, and uh, I just want to thank you so much for your influence. Uh, for those of you who may have come in later, don't know me and the guy with me, my name's Todd, and this is Todd. Todd and Todd. So anyway, we're glad that you're here today. Actually, I'm Todd Cullen. I'm the lead pastor. This is Todd Cooper, our student pastor, and uh, I've asked him to join me for today's message. Why don't you guys give it up for our awesome student pastor? And he and Sammy, uh, who uh, moved here, um, gosh, 18 months ago, more than that now, almost two years ago, yeah, uh, they uh, are, their world is about ready to change <laughs> because they are expecting their first uh, coming along here in just a few weeks. And so be praying for them. And uh, so you'll get to celebrate, Sam, you know, Sammy's already a mom. So anyway, she is. So anyway, it's really neat. Uh, glad that you're here. Um, we're going to be in two different passages today. Largely, we're going to be in passage in 2 Kings. And then we are going to be later, uh, we're going to be in a passage in Deuteronomy. And so you can turn there if you'd like. We are starting a brand new message series today called Do Something. One of the things that uh, we see in the church and, and pastors get together at conferences and talk about this is the idea that uh, we have a tendency in the church world to either be all doing or all knowing and there's not like a lot that's in between. And so my prayer as a church is that we would be people who are hungry for God's word and hungry for the knowledge of God's word, but also hungry to do something. And I think the church tendency generally is to err on the side of knowing a lot, but not doing a lot. And so over the course of the next few weeks, I'm going to call us before the summer begins um, to do something as a church. And you're going to see that in a variety of ways. Today is to do something with the next generation. And didn't our students do a great job here this morning leading us in worship? Man, it is so cool to see them being developed as worship leaders. I'm so thankful for that. Um, I read an article online uh, not too long ago, and I talk about this a lot. So some of you have already heard this, okay? So that's, I'm sorry that that's the case. Um, but it listed, this uh, guy wrote this article, and uh, he listed... Um, the top, most difficult, toughest, as he described it, leadership roles. And, and, and I want to talk to you a little bit about this to set up what we're going to talk about today because I think it really uh, has a lot to say about the subject matter of today. Now today, Todd Cooper and I are going to be talking about two different words that, that somewhat mean the same thing. We're going to be talking about uh, the word influence and we're going to be talking about the word impact. And I think this, this article that I'm about ready to tell you about kind of highlights or underscores the idea of influence or impact. Now, um, some of you who are like English majors, you know that the word impact means striking with force. And so when we talk about having an impact on the next generation, uh, we're not literally talking about hitting them with force, okay? Not striking them with force, um, although that may be tempting sometimes. Todd Cooper as a student pastor, uh, we don't do that here. And, uh, but um, impact has become kind of like turn the corner to mean something that is a lot more closely aligned with this idea of influence. And, and Webster defines influence like this, the capacity or power of persons or things to be a compelling force on or produce effects on the actions, behaviors, and opinions of others. And so I want to talk with you today, really over the course of the next few weeks, about influence. And this article that I read by Bob Asgar, uh, he every uh, few years writes an article for Forbes that describes the toughest leadership roles. 
And each time he writes this article, he evaluates those roles based on personal uh, information that he has, based on experience, but also based on data. And so he listed the top nine leadership, toughest leadership roles in the world today. And, and I want to give you some of these. Uh, number nine is a CEO of an organization. Most of us would expect that to be at the top of the list, number one, you know, the toughest leadership role uh, that is, is in existence. But he essentially said that what they're getting paid, who cares how hard it is, okay? So anyway, I love that. Uh, number eight is a U.S. congressman, oddly enough, thought that was interesting. Uh, seven is editor for a daily paper. Number six is a mayor. Um, number five, incidentally, is a pastor. Message for another time. Uh, number four is a football coach. Uh, I can see that. Third is second in command of any organization. Number two is a university president. The number one most difficult leadership role in America today or in the world today is a stay-at-home parent. And I want to let you guys know that um, when he was writing this article, he mentioned that there's a growing number of men in that role, but traditionally, moms are in that role, aren't they? And, and in our world today, there are over 5 million stay-at-home moms. And I want to add to this that if being a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home parent is the most difficult leadership role around um, in our culture where couples often have to have two jobs to support a family, being a stay-at-home mom or dad or being a stay-at-home mom or dad and having to work or some kind of hybrid of that is exponentially more difficult. And I love the fact that he listed that because as I see what my wife does, and many of you, if you watch what mom does or your parent does, I know that my mom, she passed away uh, um, in uh, March of, of last year, um, but growing up, she had uh, a very difficult job, especially when it came to my sister. Not me, <laughs> but my sister. I'm just kidding. Because uh, <laughs> I was perfect. Uh, no, but mom... Mom had a lot of challenges, and um, all of you moms who are here today, I just want to pause before we dive in, and I want to say thank you for, for the time and the effort and the energy and the love and the nurturing that you give to your kids, um, sometimes to your kids who are older, like myself, um, and I want to say thank you so much for the influence that you have in our lives. And so thank you, those of you who are here today who are moms or you serve in the capacity of moms, thank you so much for all that you do. This article goes on to say that um, there are some pros. He lists pros and cons for each of these. A stay-at-home mom, um, here are some of the pros. I love this. Comfortable, stretchy, sweatpant uniforms. Um, showering is optional. <laughs> Just not going to go in on any further on that. Freedom from water cooler gossip and office backstabbing. So true. Um, here are the cons. Condescending tone in the, oh, staying at home is a very important job statements that others make. Wow. That is so true, isn't it? The knowledge that if you do your job badly, you'll be raising the next generation of uh, sociopaths and U.S. congressmen. I love that one. Wow. Wow. Man, I love that one. Um, and he says, while it's been calculated that the value of your work is a whopping $100,000 a year, okay, remind your you know, spouse uh, of that, moms, uh, if you're right there right now, uh, you are, uh, your overpaid CEO spouse flaunts his or her paycheck as a way of showing that he or she doesn't plan to help around the house. 
never done that before. Even if you do your job right, the little ingrates move on and leave you with an empty nest, okay? So um, moms, you do an amazing job, and we're so thankful. And I think it highlights what we're going to be talking about today, what Todd and I want to talk to you about today, and that is this idea of influence spiritually. And so today I want to ask you a question, um, who is this message for? And I want to let you know that today's message is for those of you who are here and you're a Christ follower and you're a mature Christ follower um, and you are older than someone else. And so that means just about everybody in this room. Even those of you who um, are in the role of maybe an aunt or an uncle, uh, maybe those of you who are in the role of a grandparent that you um, have guardianship of uh, one of your children, Um, Moms and dads, today's message is for you. Those of you who are teachers, man, thank you so much to our teachers. Aren't you glad that there's only three or four weeks left? Isn't that great? Uh, Before summer hits. Um, Those of you who have any kind of influence over someone who is younger than you, um, this message is for you. And so I would summarize it today by saying that this message is for all Christ followers. Even those of you who are here today and you are in the young generation, there's going to come a day when you will have influence over someone else. And I want you to remember today's message. It's so vitally important to remember today's message. It was so important, in fact, that this idea of having influence is mentioned in the New Testament and the Old Testament um, in Titus. Uh, I want to um, have you take a look at what Titus says in Titus 2, verses 1 through 8, he says this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women, verse 3 says, Likewise, are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train, it says in verse 4, the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men, this is for men, to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Let me tell you, this is what essentially this is saying. This is saying that you who are here today, who are of a generation where you have any kind of influence or impact on someone who is younger, whether it's your child or not, whether it's someone in your care or not, um, you and I, we all have um, a command to have some sort of influence positively, spiritually on the next generation. In, In our Um, office, um, we talk about a lot, a book by Jim Collins. It's a business book. And uh, it's called Good to Great. Many of you uh, have probably read Good to Great. He begins by talking about the flywheel and and how the flywheel to to create energy, to create electricity, to create um, momentum has to to be worked on and maintained and it it has to be spun up. And and you get to a point where you can step back and let the flywheel go. But I gotta tell you, when when we equate that to um, spiritual impact on the next generation, we've got to realize that the spiritual flywheel has to be maintained. That if we don't take seriously our role to impact the next generation, that at some point in time, the spiritual momentum will die. And I think we see that in a lot of areas in our culture. 
I want you to think about the, uh, the idea that um, if you say, you know, I'm just going to kind of take a back seat. I'm going to become complacent. I'm going to be spiritually kind of like just like not moving at all, just kind of comfortable and um, just like relaxed. And I'm not going to worry myself with it. Um, at some point in time, the, the kids that are under your care, uh, there's going to be a spiritual stop that happens. And it leads to a, a society and, and uh, a, a culture and a community um, that is spiritually dead. And you know, it has eternal impacts because there'll, there'll be fewer and fewer young people coming to Christ, but it also has impacts on our society um, right here and right now. And I, I'm going to ask Cooper to talk a little bit about some of the impacts that we see in our culture when spiritual momentum just stops. Yeah, so... As I mentioned the last time I spoke, I'm a, I'm a why person. Why, why is it important to talk about um, this impact, this influence on the next generation? And so uh, as I put this together and I thought about it, uh, really my thought was I don't even think it's necessary to talk about the why. Why do we need to reach and influence and impact our, our younger generations? Um, but I'm going to go ahead and share it anyway because I think it's important. I think some of these things, even as a youth pastor and someone who is – part of the younger generation, at least one of the younger generations, I see this every day. I was still amazed at some of these things I found. And so I just want to share a few of these with you. And this isn't to bash society uh, more as, uh, as an encouragement and, and a way to encourage us to, to get involved and ask how can we encourage, but first we have to ask why. Why is there a need for influence and impact? The, uh, right now in the United States, this, these studies were taken within the last few years um, between 50% and 70% of teenagers have sex before the age of 19. 250,000 babies were born to women aged 15 to 19 years old. And, and this has decreased in the last few years, and I, I kind of thought to myself, you know, why? Why is it decreasing? Is it, it, are, should we be hopeful? And maybe for some reasons it's decreasing, but I think for the main reasons, the main reasons that it's decreasing is because of better protection and an, an increase in abortions. There's an increase... In abortions, the the abortion rate is um, is the largest amongst young women, amongst teenage women. One third of teenage pregnancies end in abortion. A one third, mm. over thirty three percent actually, a little bit over a one third end in abortion. Mm. Nearly forty percent of high school students reported drinking alcohol within the last month. It's almost one in every two high school students. Twenty percent of high school students have used pot in the last month. This, this is what really gets me. Because of my testimony, because of what I've experienced, this is what really gets to me. The second leading cause of death amongst teenagers, actually between 10 and 24 years old, even before they're teenagers, the le second leading cause of death is suicide. Mm. In our nation, 5,400 attempts happen every day between the, ages of, or between the grades of 7 and 12, between... Between a middle school student and a high school student, there's 5,400 suicide attempts every day in our nation. Mm. And yes, you might say, oh, well, maybe some of them are seeking attention. Maybe some of them aren't serious about it. Whatever the case may be, there, there's something is going on inside where they would attempt or at least make it seem like they attempted suicide. Four out of five teens who attempt suicide report that they have given clear warning signs that they were going to do it. Mm. Four out of five give a clear warning signs that they are going to do it. And 
I believe, and what I've seen, I, I didn't get a, a many statistics um, to support this, but I honestly believe from my own experience that many of these statistics dramatically increase when students graduate from high school because they're not prepared for college. They're not prepared for the real world. Uh, on this island, working with students in the last two years, Xanax, pot, and cocaine are talked about regularly. I hear them a weekly. This island is called Snow Island by many, many students. My personal, in my personal life, four of my friends from high school, four friends I've known from high school, have already died from uh, an overdose in heroin. Heroin is, n is not just um, sweeping throughout the nation, but in Denver, especially right now, heroin is out of control. Hmm. Something that also uh, shocked me, this is, I heard this a while ago, um, MTV really, I guess, I don't think is necessarily that popular anymore, but I, I think we'd have to agree that TV hasn't gotten much better since MTV came out. <laughs> but let me give you an idea of what the founder of MTV, what his intention, what his purpose was, what his view was when he came out with MTV back in the 90s. Mm. And again, TV hasn't gotten much better. It's gotten worse. This is what the founder of MTV was quoted saying. The only person who can understand the new way to use that television set are the people who grew up with it they will almost accept anything that is on that screen. The strongest appeal you can make is emotionally. If you can get their emotions going, it makes them forget their logic. You've got them. He's talking about, he's talking about teenagers, young, young men and women. He says this, at, at MTV, we don't shoot for 14-year-olds. We don't, we don't try to attract the 14-year-olds. He says, We've already, we already own them. Hmm. This, is, this is the founder of MTV. And, and so... Drawing it more in here to Hilton Head, what I want to encourage you guys with is, is the opportunity that we have here, because yes, we can look at the nation, and maybe some of you have an opportunity to impact on a massive level, but for the majority of us, we live here in Hilton Head. For the majority of us, we have maybe one or two kids at home, or maybe we don't have kids at home. Maybe we don't even have kids, but we have an opportunity here. We have students that attend church here every Sunday night, every Sunday morning. We have schools on the island. We have... 5,000 students between the ages of 5 and 19 on Hilton Head. 5,000 students. Hmm. I wish they're all coming here, but they're not coming here. <laughs> and so why, why is it important between the ages of 5 and 19? They say that 85% of children between the ages of birth and 15 years old make the decision to follow Christ. All of all Christians that they studied, they made their decision between the ages of, of birth or uh, I think many studies maybe even started at five years old, between five and 15 years old, they made the decision to follow Christ. 85% mm. of believers between that age range. Mm. Mm. And it goes up to 94% when you add it into the age of 18. Mm. So the students here on this island, the children on this island from the ages of five to 18 will make that decision most likely whether they're going to follow Christ or not. Mm. Because 94% of Christians said they made their decision before the age of 18. Wow. 6% will make that mm. decision afterwards. And, mm. and that's not to say that we give up on anyone mm. who's after the age of 18. No, we need to increase that number as well. But I hope you guys understand that the students who come in here on Sunday morning and Sunday nights, the students who you drop off your children with at school every day, will make the decision, 94% of them will make that decision mm. before they graduate high school whether they're going to follow Christ or not. Wow. It says that 80% um, of them reported that, that their influence, that, that came from a Christian home, reported that their influence was from a parent. Those who didn't come from a Christian home said that the majority of, of, of 
influence came from a youth leader or someone who invested in a relationship. Like it wasn't just paying for someone's Starbucks behind you in line hmm. at the drive-through. These students are saying, and these people are saying, it was someone who invested in a relationship in my life. And that's the reason I chose mm. to follow Christ mm. before the age of 18. And so we have 936 Sundays from the moment a child is born until they graduate high school to make this impact, to make this influence. And we might think, oh, that's plenty of time. But you can ask some of our parents of seniors. We have the Sanders here. And their boys are about to go off to college. And I'm sure they said, where did 936 Sundays go? Yeah. Yep. We have plenty of, of parents who, whether their students have left for college or they're going to leave, they would ask, where did 936 Sundays go? It goes by much faster than you think. Mm. And I believe that the majority of the influence happens in the students who are that age. Maybe I should become a children's pastor. I don't know. <laughs> but either in there or here in the, in the youth room, in that age group, and you guys have an opportunity. The, the, the need is there. I could go on and on about statistics. The need is there. Yeah. And you guys have an opportunity to make that impact. I want to um, ask you a question this morning. Uh, for those of you who are here today and you're a Christ follower, how many of you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior before the age of 18? I want you to raise your hand this morning. Look around. Look around this room, okay? Uh, keep your hands up for a moment. Um, you guys represent the statistic that Todd just mentioned. Um, I, I have uh, a daughter who's back here, and um, I, I was thinking that as you were talking, 960 some odd Sundays, 936. 936 Sundays, from the time they're born to the time they go to college. And um, my daughter's halfway through that. Where, where, where are your children on that? It goes like that. It goes by like that. So if you ever wonder why we put such a huge emphasis on our children's ministry here at Hilton Island Community Church, why did we spend time to and money and effort to, to get that shaped up. Why am I so willing to go, yeah, I'll vacate my office um, for, for nursery um, for our, all of these new babies that are being born around here. It's because this is the time. This is the time. And we have the opportunity to influence 5,000 and possibly even more students for Christ. It fits right in with our mission statement. Now, um, I, I think that as a society, sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. I think that what we do is, is we try to fix society, like we try to like change all of those stats. We try to like change the, um, the those stats, the the uh, teen pregnancy stats and the suicide rate among among teens and so on and so forth. And I think those are all good efforts. I'm not um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't lobby our our congressmen and um, both at the local, state, and national level and be involved in the process at all. But I think that sometimes we're so focused on the, the macro problem that we forget that we can solve it right in front of us. And while we're trying to like fix the macro problem, our own kids are being a part of those statistics. And I think the Bible calls us to really get introspective and to look within. And so I want to explain, and Todd and I are going to explain, um, how we reach the next generation over the, the, these closing few minutes. And, and we're going to look at two stories from the Old Testament on how we can do it. I think first and foremost, um, you and I need to realize that our own spiritual growth and our spiritual journey will have an impact on, on the next generation. And, and to, to look at that, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 20, or it'll be on the screens here. And if you have a, a piece of paper and a pen and, and that worship folder, 
please take notes because we're going to give you two very specific ways that you and I um, can, can help be a part of solving um, the problem of having an impact on the next generation. King Hezekiah was one of the good kings of, of Judah, um, the, the um, southern kingdom of Israel. And um, it's interesting because there's a certain point in his life towards the old age part of his life, towards those golden years, championship years, right? The champions tour. Remember that? I talked about that a few weeks ago. Champions time. And it's interesting because God calls him to clean his house. This is a man that was close to the heart of God. Take a look at what 2 Kings verse 20 says, in those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in, what's that next word? Order. Set your house in order. Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. And then King Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord saying this, Now, O Lord, please remember, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now, in your experience, when you see someone who has come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, what often happens to them physically when, when they hit their knees and, and they've been like just really convicted by God's Holy Spirit? What do they do? They cry. They cry. It's an outward expression, often not always the case, uh, of, of what's going on spiritually. And obviously, King Hezekiah was moved in terms of um, what was going on spiritually in his own life. And he says, remember my faithfulness. But I get the feeling here that King Hezekiah was convicted about some way that in his own life he needed to change some things or shore up some things spiritually. I believe that he was convicted by God's Holy Spirit to, to look within and get introspective. Look at verse 4. And before Isaiah had gone out in the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I love that part. Behold, I will heal you. And on the third day, you shall go up from the house of the Lord. And I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Listen, I don't believe Hezekiah was concerned as much about dying as he was convicted by God's Holy Spirit to get something in his own life in order. And I think that Hezekiah realized the, the application point that I want to make this morning, the first one, and that is, is that before we go and try to fix our family, we need to ensure that our spiritual life is in order as well. Are you with me, church? Like sometimes we miss that and we cause more damage. We make reverse impact spiritually rather than pushing our kids and those that we have influence on forward. Listen, um, there is a lot of hypocrisy. And if you're a hypocrite, man, I'm glad you're here because join the crowd, all right? In some ways, we're all hypocrites, right? But man, if we are preaching to the younger generation a message that we aren't living ourselves, that's, that's the ultimate form of hypocrisy. They're going to see right through it. So the application point number one, how do I make an impact on the next generation? Ensure that my own personal relationship with God is active and healthy. 
ensure that my own relationship with the Lord is active and healthy. If nothing else prompts us to seek the face of God, maybe this will. Maybe the next generation will. Maybe your grandkids, when you look at them, will prompt you to seek the face of God, to spend time reading his word, to spend time in prayer. Maybe looking at your children and thinking about the impact that you can have on your children, moms and dads, will cause you to seek the face of God. Maybe those of you who are teachers and you have influence on someone else or you're, hey, a part of this church and you've never volunteered to help out with Island Kids on Sunday morning um, with summer or help Cooper out on Sunday nights with our students, maybe um, this will prompt you to seek the face of God and ensure that your own relationship is healthy before you encourage someone else to fix themselves. Maybe today's message on doing something um, starts with you doing something about your own spiritual life, but I think there's more application in this as well. Yeah, I'm going to, uh, if you want to flip to Deuteronomy chapter 34, I'm going to read a quick passage out of that. But, you know, what I also see in, in the story of Hezekiah is he didn't have excuses, you know. And, and I've only been in youth ministry for two years, but it didn't even really take having a role as a youth pastor to hear the, oh, well, kids will be kids. You know, just mm-hmm. the kids will be kids. They can, they'll do that. I, I did that as a kid, you know. Taking Xanax and, and smoking pot and 5,400 attempts in suicide every day in this nation, that's not kids will be kids. That's not I did it as a kid. That's not, they'll figure it out. You know, they just, they're just young. They're, they're, they're kids. Um, or even a parent who comes to me and, and says, hey, this is going on. Can you fix my kid? <laughs> hey, look, that's why I'm doing this job is to bring hope to a hopeless generation. But when I have parents that say, come, please fix my kid. And yet I haven't seen them in church mm. more than twice a year. Mm. I mean, I think what the story of Hezekiah can tell us a lot about that. But not only that, I don't know how long you've been in church. Um, if, if you've been in church since, since a child, you've probably heard there was, uh, you know, in the 80s, 90s, there was kind of a movement of, we need a Joshua generation. Hmm. We need a Joshua generation because Joshua led the people of Israel, as a young man led the people of Israel into the promised land. And he, he got rid of idols. And if you've been a part of the church, you probably hear, we need a Joshua generation. And the truth is we do have a Joshua generation. We have students who are passionately seeking God. One of my favorite moments of this Sunday morning, every Sunday morning I have a moment, but one of my students walked through the parking lot at, you know, 9 o'clock. I said, what are you, what are you doing here so early? She said, I'm going to help out with Island Kids. Hmm. That's, awesome. That's amazing. That's, awesome. That's amazing. But, but the story of, of Joshua and Moses, we many times think we need a Joshua generation. That's what we need to fix this generation. We need a Joshua generation. But join me in Deuteronomy chapter 34, mm-hmm. verse 9. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like them for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all of his ser- servants, and to all of his land, and for the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Look, we don't need necessarily a Joshua generation, but we need a Moses generation. Hmm. We need parents. We need grandparents. We need people who might not even be parents. We need adults who are willing to step up and hmm. say, that's it. I'm done hearing these statistics. That's it. I'm done 
judging the, the youth and saying they just need to get it figured out. That's ridiculous <laughs> that they're doing this. And jump in and mm, say, I want to be awesome. the Moses to those Joshuas because I got plenty of Joshuas in, on Sunday nights who mm. need a Moses because, yes, wow. it's my job, but I can't shepherd 20, 30, 40 Joshuas. I mm. need more Moseses. And then your mm. household needs them. The schools need them. This island needs them. Mm. And so not only do we need to ensure that our relationship with the Lord is right, but I believe, and this is maybe more applicable, maybe you can walk out of here with an idea of what to do today, is we need to leverage our sphere of influence mm. and any opportunity to, spirit, to spiritually impact the next generation. Mm. What does it not look like? I'll start with that. What does it not look like? It's, it's not necessarily just dragging your, your, your children to church. and That's not a bad thing. Keep dragging them to church, please. <laughs> it's not just dragging them to church, though. It's not just having them memorize scripture. It's not just mm. having them obey certain rules. Because, trust me, I was really good at that. <laughs> Kids are good at that. As long as it gets them their allowance still, as long as it gets <laughs> them favor or whatever it might be, it's not just about bringing them to church, not forcing them to come to mm. church. It's not just doing these things that really are a lot easier than what I might suggest here in a moment. It's not just complaining about the condition of our society. What does it look like? What does it look like to influence the next generation? Well, we've got to be aware. We have to be aware, and I gave you the why. We need to be aware of what's going on and who around us we can impact. Maybe it is your children. Maybe you've thought of somebody in your life that you can influence or impact right now. Maybe your own children, maybe someone else. But you need to be aware. Be, be aware of God's vision that he loves these children. There are many times in scripture that God speaks of the importance of children. I believe that, that Jesus viewed children more importantly than he viewed anyone else. Do mm. we view children the same way? Mm. Are we aware of what's going on? Are we aware of what God wants us to do? Do we have humility? Do we, are we willing to be servants to the next generation? Or do we come in and, and do we disrespect them because they don't, disrespect, they don't respect us? How often do we hear that in our generation? Oh, just a bunch of punks. They're just a bunch of punks. Yeah, they are because they're children and they're youth, all right? I was a punk too, but I needed people who came alongside of me and said, hey, I'm going to serve you anyways. Even though you don't respect me, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to lead you because they, don't, they won't know otherwise. We need mentors. We need people who invest. And, and no, that doesn't necessarily mean coming in and leading a small group because some of you might say, I, I'm just, that's not my personality. There are so many ways, and I encourage you. I'm going to share just one or two because of the time we have left. But I encourage you, if you're passionate about this, what can I do? I have a list going already, and I don't know when it's ever going to stop, of things that, that you can do to influence and impact the next generation. Whether it be something small like you know, sending a gift card, a Starbucks gift card, or, or a handwritten letter to a student who's already gone to college. Because it doesn't just stop at 18. College is hard. Whether it be on a family trip swinging by Clemson or, or College of Charleston and, and <clears throat> calling a student and saying, hey, can we just take you out to lunch? Or, hey, can I just drop off a little care package? I know you probably don't know me. You don't have to know the student. Mm. But they'll know that, wow, this is from my church back home. They're mm. still thinking and caring about me. Mm. I know they don't know me, but they want to invest in me. Mm. It could be something small. It could be something large. You could be, you could invest in a small group here on Sunday nights. You could help out at Ignite. Because between the age of 5 and 19, 94% of them will choose hmm. to follow Christ wow. or not to follow Christ. Mm. And so whatever your personality might be, whatever time you might have, whatever resources you might have, I guarantee there is something that you can do to influence some of the children maybe sitting within 20 feet of you. Hmm. You don't have to have all the time. You don't have to have a certain personality. 
there are plenty of ways that you can invest in them and show them that, hey, what you're doing, the God you're seeking, continue to seek him. This is what he's done in my life, mm. whatever it might be. I, I could go on and on, but I encourage you to find a way that you can invest in the next generation. How many of you today who are Christ followers, how many of you can think of someone um, in your life, and you can think of their first name at least, that had an impact on you coming to Christ? Raise your hand this morning. We've all been impacted, haven't we? We've all been impacted by someone else. We've all been influenced by someone else for the cause of Christ, for those of you who have accepted Jesus. I've got a list of names as well. Um, one who I can't remember his first or last name, but he was my history teacher in, in fifth and sixth grade, encouraged me spiritually. It was my first grade teacher who led me to the Lord in, in, a, in a Christian school. Um, countless uh, people growing up as, as a child um, who had influence on on me from Sunday school classes and, and learning about God's word and influencing my mom, my dad, my grandparents on my mom's side of the family had a spiritual influence on me. A guy named Jeff Cranston, who's the pastor of Low Country Community Church that helped us get started. Uh, a guy named by the name of Mike Lynch, who's the pastor of North Star Church in, in Atlanta. Um, a guy named Ike Reichard, who's going to be here later this fall, who's a pastor of another church in Atlanta. My father-in-law, the list goes on and on and on of the people um, who have impacted me spiritually. Some of you who are here are under my shepherding care as your pastor, and you've influenced me spiritually. But you know, like Todd just said, you don't have to, um, you don't have to have all the Bible knowledge in the world. You don't even have to necessarily serve back here, although we really want you to. Um, you don't have to, like, you know, like just love teenagers. You're like, yeah, I just love teenagers, man. I love middle schoolers <laughs> to have an impact. And I want to close today by telling you the story of a guy by the name of Lamar Lussie. Um, I grew up in Atlanta, and um, when I got into eighth grade, I, uh, we moved back to Atlanta for a second time, and I ended up living there for most through middle school and high school. And I had a lot of people that influenced me directly, spiritually, during that time. But there's a guy in our school, his name was Lamar Lussie, and he was, he was the guy that kept the grounds up at our school. He was a hard worker. He was in his probably late 50s uh, when I was in eighth grade, and um, he, he was from Louisiana, and he was one of those, like, Cajun Louisiana guys, you know. And, and Lamar, in his late 50s, as the janitor and groundskeeper of our school, um, worked hard, and he always looked a little bit disheveled, and, you know, uh, he was uh, always uh, looked a little unkempt. And, and not only was he Cajun, but he spoke with a little bit of a lisp. So Lamar Lussie was one of those guys that, like, as a middle schooler and high schooler, like, our tendency was just to make fun of him. And we did. And I'm not proud of that. We made fun of Lamar, Mr. Lussie. But, you know, he understood the statistics that nearly 90% of people accept Christ before the age of 18, so much so that his real job at the school was to pray by name for every student there. He prayed by name every day for every student that was there. And what I didn't know was, when I got there, was that every year, for every student that went to school there, he would call us on our birthday. Early in the morning, before the days of cell phones, when the phone would ring loudly in the house and wake everybody up, and he'd wish us a happy birthday. And I remember him in that lisp, that Cajun lisp he had, saying, I'm praying for you, and I love you, and God loves you, 
And I'm praying that one day um, you become something that God wants you to become. You know, Lamar Lussie called every student in that school through their time in that school on their birthday every year. The first year that my birthday rolled around that we were married, 7 a.m., I got a phone call on my birthday. And guess who it was? It wasn't my dad or my mom. It was Lamar Lussie wishing me a happy birthday. And for a few years well into my marriage, he would call. And I realized, man, this guy gets it. He gets it. It wasn't cool or hip. In fact, we made fun of him. And you know, he prayed for me. He prayed for my sister, my little sister. He prayed for all of my friends, Matt and Jason and Brian and Whitney and Casey. He prayed for our, our class. And you know, for some of you, um, it really is just about having that silent but important impact on the next generation just by praying for them. What are you going to do to influence the next generation? Listen, we should be compelled as Christ followers to find a way that we can impact our world. Parents, it starts at home, but it expands beyond that, helping guys like Cooper and people like Summer. They need your help. Our kids need it. The next generation obviously needs it. But you know what? Eternity needs it. So why don't we do something about it? Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide and Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just um, move in our lives and inspect our lives. And God, would you search us, search us from within and find where we can be a part of influencing the next generation. God, may we not sit around and complain and write letters and degrade culture and, and talk about how bad things are. God, help us to stand up and do something and be a part of the solution. And if that means that we've got to get our own spiritual lives in order first, God, I pray that we would go home today. And God, I pray that we would be people who get things right in our own lives so that we don't lead and influence with hypocrisy, but that we would do it with authenticity and a genuine heart. And God, I pray for many of the people who are here today. And God, maybe something that's been said or your Holy Spirit leads and guides right now, or maybe something that's been sung would lead them to the point where they do something about helping out with the next generation. God, I pray that you would put that on our hearts, that you would help us to, to call Summer, to call the office, to send the email to Cooper, to, to follow up and find ways that we can get involved. May this start in the homes. May it spread to our communities. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be, bring change to our culture. God, I pray for all of these students that are under our care and the 5,000 that are out there in our community, that many of them, don't know you as their savior. Most of them don't have a church that they can call home. God, I pray that you would change that and you would use us as a result. I thank you so much for people of influence like Cooper and uh, Todd Cooper and Sammy Cooper and like Summer Dempster and all of their volunteers and leaders. God, I thank you so much for their influence. And God, I thank you today, especially on Mother's Day, for our moms. What a blessing a mother is. And God, I thank you so much for the moms that have had influence in our lives. I pray that we would be people who continue that momentum. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,